Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, everybody? Man, who do you even fucking choose right now, Jake? I'm your Ryu Bruiser. Hold me now. Bone Claw Wolverine. I'm your Bone Vereen Wizard. I'm your Magneto Bruiser. I'm your, um, uh, uh, what, what, we got to jump off of that. Sentinel. I'm your a Strider Bruiser. How about that shit? Holden McNeely. A Strider. I'm your That's a Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Wizard, uh, Holden McNeely. I mean, come on. It's and endless. It's, it's me, Ruby Hart, the Pirate Queen. Original character, Ruby Hart, the flagship mascot. That was actually of this kind of franchise. That was fun to learn. I was not aware. I just assumed everything was from something previous, obscure that I never <laughs> heard of. I didn't realize they did actually create a few original characters. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Shumagorath. I'm I'm your first hint that tentacle culture is a thing in Japan. Right, please, people, can we just for You're a moment? You're eight years old in the arcade. You don't know what I represent, but now you do. Tentacle culture is a do. weird way to phrase it, Jake. I would could, could think of a few other ways to term. How would you know what? You know what, Alden? Give me give me your best shot. Tentacle manipulation of genitals. <laughs> uh, <laughs> popularity in <laughs> Japanese human minds. That's far more unwieldy. <laughs> Let's paint the real picture. Is this a six-button combo system? Because that is hard to follow, <laughs> hard to understand. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here to talk about Marvel versus Capcom, the series that refuses to die. Actually, it sort of is dead, but I it's mean, not it is dead. Very... Well, as of now, literally, I had to wrench... The window away from my desktop, uh, from my from my monitor. I had Evo up just now, and they're in pools. I was watching some Street Fighter Six, but we'll get into it at the end of this episode. Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom Three is in this year's events, and the hype around that has been so wonderful and just vibrant uh, going into this. So many people wanted it, and so let's talk. Let's tell the story here, because if you're not fully aware, Marvel vs. Capcom, the series, especially uh, MVC2 and MVC3, and even more so Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3, uh, are two of the most beloved fighting games ever made. And there's something so wonderful and special about them. They've really like cemented the tag fighter as one of the most popular genres within uh, fighting games. 
and it uh, died. It, it, uh, the series essentially kind of died with Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, and the failure of that outing is a fascinating situation. So we're gonna. This is kind of have a, a all encompassing episode when it comes to. Sometimes we cover stuff that fails. Sometimes we cover stuff that greatly succeeds. This is the story of both, and we'll ex- try to explain why. But it's really interesting to me. I personally, getting into the gush uh, or the anti-gush, I don't know how you want to describe it, just talking about Infinite, I was there for the whole ride for Infinite. I bought Marvel vs. Capcom. Infinite came about right when I was getting serious with fighting games again. And I remember it was just a boon for new fighters at that time, kind of like we're experiencing now, uh, but for better or for worse back then. So Street Fighter V was thriving. Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite came out. Dragon Ball Fighters came out, which uh, kind of helped murder Marvel's Capcom <laughs> Infinite. And uh, there was a lot of hype around MVCI, and there was also a lot of concern around the rollout of MVCI. But all told, people did, people who know fighters, people who like tag fighters, I think many felt the actual mechanics, the actual gameplay was pretty sound, was actually pretty solid. So it wasn't a game feel uh, problem mm. with Marvel's Capcom Infinite. It was much more of an issue with like all the all the trappings, all the 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 visuals, the DLC, the how they just treated the players, the writing of the story mode, all the little things kind of just led to people sort of falling off of it. And we'll talk more about how that came to be. But let's get off of the anti gush. Fuck all that. We'll get an infinite later. Marvel's Capcom Two was probably in my mind, Jake. Outside of, yes, of course it was present in the arcade, but more so than that, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 is the Dreamcast Mm. for me. It's a certain time in my life when my buddy, you've heard his name before, Pat, got a Dreamcast. He was the Dreamcast house. I was a PlayStation house that nobody went to. Not the funnest place to hang out. The fun hangout places were Pat's and Ben's. We don't need to get into that, but uh, he had the Dreamcast and... You know, so Marvel's Capcom 2 was so synonymous with that system in my mind and just became a regular rotation game. And I think even though like and I also remember like going to arcades and seeing people be really like proficient mm-hmm. at the game and doing really interesting and just co- covering the screen in so much just like insane uh, uh, laser bullshit shenanigans beams, superhero beams shenanigans as far as the eye can see and flashing lights I can't believe there wasn't more of like a Pokemon uh, the movie <laughs> situation going on with MVC where people were like getting seizures from it and everything because it really was the most flashy crazy thing and it just looked so damn good it looked like the cartoon you know the co- rather comic book characters and stuff that I'd been appreciating in you know the X-Men animated show and there are ties there uh, as well as uh, all these properties I was like, wow, I look, I feel like I'm playing like the comic strip right now. The, 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 in this like unbelievable way, it just popped so well, but I remember playing it a lot at home. And then kind of when I came back around to fighting games, you MVC three and UMVC three were just so impressive looking to me. And there was just so much cool shit going on. I, you know, I downloaded, re-downloaded ultimate Marvel's Capcom three and Marvel's Capcom infinite in preparation for this, but I really didn't play them. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to watch people do insane shit in, you know, playback videos and tournaments and displaying like infinite combos and all that, all that kind of stuff was way even more like entertaining me than me trying 
trying to go and like pick up a character. This is an incredible series. I'm so glad we're getting to finally do it as a huge fan of fighting games. And I'm fucking hype as shit right now because Evo's happening as we speak. So this is a perfect time to record this episode. Jake! Give me the fucking gush. So I definitely have less of a emotional connection to MVC three MV and uh, ultimate MVC. MVC. Um, I you know I had friends that had it. I played a bunch of games over at good old Mike Lawrence's apartment back in the day. I was about to say one of my strongest memories was going to Mar- Marcus's place, and that was when uh, Mike was living in the basement, and uh, he he came out of the basement like a creature in the night to play Marvel's Capcom Two with me on I think the PlayStation Three. Makes sense. And I, he wiped the fucking floor with me to such a laughable degree. And if you know anything about Mike Lawrence, uh, hand dexterity is not his strongest forte. <laughs> he was unbelievable. And did you have a similar experience, Jay? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I honestly, I didn't, I knew, I know nothing. I didn't even understand what the X Factor was. I still barely understand what the X Factor is. Uh, for me, this entire franchise is definitely tied to the arcade. I remember exactly where I was in 1995, 11 years old, my family went to the local family-friendly pizza restaurant where, you know, you get some, like, uh, gar- noodles with butter and garlic, and they eat some kind of Budanesca fancy thing. And there, right outside of, like, the restaurant was this sparkling new cabinet for X-Men Children of the Atom. Oh, wow. And I was immediately transfixed because I loved Street Fighter 2, played it all the time uh, over at friends' houses. I loved, on a profound emotional level, the uh, X-Men animated series, and I just immediately was transfixed. At this point, I didn't even understand, um, you know, the CPS, was it CPS 2 board? Uh With the advanced uh, sprite work, I had no idea video games could even look like this. It was so flashy, and as soon as I busted out the first Berserker Barrage, (laughs) and it like had the voice from the show and everything, I was... You know, just that Psylocke sprite alone was enough to awaken several things in me. And I missed the entire meal. I literally (laughs) just would come running back to my family's table, ask for more money for quarters, and then come scampering out, wasted the entire night just on that machine. And you always have the hat and the full beard and mustache in my head as this young boy. Like, that's all I see in my mind. I was the exact same shape, just shorter. <laughs> Full just body a round, hair. hairy, yeah. just gremlin of a boy. Now, Jake, you said X-Men Children of the Atom. That's not Marvel vs. Capcom. So I'm- then, <laughs> as the every year a new cabinet came out, Marvel Superheroes, Marvel Superheroes vs. X-Men vs. Street Fighter, Marvel Superheroes vs. Street Fighter, and it built and built until around the year 2000 when, like, MVC2 was just this miraculous device. And for the first, it felt like truly for the first time, like the ability to play as Cable and Mega Man in the same game was so revolutionary. In my head, these video game characters, these Japanese quirky Nintendo memory characters, and these Marvel characters that completely, like both of these 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 worlds consumed my childhood imagination in ways that I could it would take an hour to fully unpack, which oddly enough is the length of this podcast. Maybe we'll get there. And this was just this beautiful fusion of everything I loved all condensed into a single package. 
Uh, the way they simplified the controls in that one. So like you're tagging in and out, you're pulling off all these supers, you're doing the, uh, what was it? The delayed hyper combo. So like everybody's throwing in at the same time and you're pulling off these magical screen clearing moves. You felt like a God. Obviously I would eventually get my ass kicked by someone who actually knew how to play the game, but everything from the jazzy soundtrack to those uh, trippy as fuck 3D backgrounds, that clown, that fucking clown that fucking in the clown, background in man, that should have, upsets should, me. Should not be injected into my mind when I think about my favorite Capcom characters and my favorite uh, Marvel characters. But here we are. We're just a, a giant inflatable clown as if that's a thing that anyone ever has anywhere. I mean, is it a bounce house? I don't even know what's going on. I don't. It's, I hated it. I hated it, but I loved the game so profoundly. And um, honestly, yeah, there was palpable disappointment when, you know, more and more bad news came out from uh, the Infinite team. It just, no matter what, it just felt like the entire project was cursed from the beginning. And when it was finally released and everybody was like, eh, it was just kind of not with a bang, but with a whimper. But uh, it just represents this beautiful era where Marvel was still this scrappy underdog company that was willing to take risks with its properties. And Capcom was this dynamic and innovative uh, arcade company that just like just iterated and expanded and did all sorts of gonzo shit. It really is just a beautiful moment of late 90s, 2000s video game bliss that I'm glad we're talking about. The wild swings that were, were able to be taken for Marvel vs. Capcom 2 especially, but the whole series in, as a whole were only possible back when Marvel wasn't the Marvel we have now. And I think a <laughs> was lot... on the brink of bankruptcy near yeah, constantly. They let Capcom go crazy with the franchise. And then, you know, Disney buys Marvel and the MCU becomes this thing. And um, really, I think Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite will pick that apart and sp- explain exactly why. But really, it feels like a victim of Marvel's own success. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, I'm just hope within hope this franchise could be revitalized if it was put in the right hands and uh, didn't have the level of oversight it probably had from Disney and Marvel uh, to make Infinite. Um, I'm hoping it could return, and I have a feeling this showing at Evo is maybe might motivate some people to revitalize the series. I have hope, Jake. Hope within hope. And that's why I'm manifesting this franchise's return to popularity with a new outing in our future by doing this episode and saying out loud three times, bring back Marvel vs. Capcom. Bring back Marvel vs. Capcom. Bring back Marvel vs. Capcom. And here's why. As a former guest on the show and uh, gaming YouTube legend Wooly once said, Where's Marvel? Where's Marvel? <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, it is uh, anything else we could break down in the synopsis. It was published by Capcom, initially heavily based on Marvel licensed Capcom games. The whole franchise starts with X-Men Children of the Atom, <laughs> even though it's not MVC titled specifically. <laughs> That's where it all began. Uh, and what? Uh, I just, uh, when we get to Marvel vs. Capcom 2, I have the yipes clip ready to nice. go. Nice. Good, good, good. <laughs> and uh, instead of a one-on-one battle, the combat is tag team focused as a fighting game. So let's take a trip back to 1993. God, I wish we could. I know. Every day. Every day. I just stare in the mirror just being like, take me back. It was so good. Or or actually take me back to the time when people thought cocaine was like good for you. (laughs) That'd be kind of an interesting time to live. No, like the 70s or whatever, right? Uh, Anyways, 
the 80s. Back in 1993, Capcom worked with Marvel on a side-scrolling beat-em-up arcade game for the comic character Punisher Mm. and also featured Nick Fury beating the absolute crap out of some dudes. Now, we went back and looked at this during our Sunday study session, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew, $15 a month. You can join us every Sunday for a Sunday study session. We watched a ton of gameplay from this entire series. But we started with this Punisher game, and I forgot, Jake... I forgot how fucking cool this game actually was. A beat em up where you are mowing dudes down with a machine gun. It's pretty cool. Yeah, the presence of firearms really changes a lot of the dynamic. Uh, it really does. But I, I, I actually, we almost watched like too much of the gameplay of this because we were a bit mesmerized. I, I It's actually a really cool outing. Look it up if you hadn't played it before. Uh, this was an arcade game that also came out in the Sega Genesis, uh, on the Sega Genesis in 1994. And, uh, uh, this really sparked this decades-long relationship between the two organizations. Uh, the game was notable in our case for having new tech that allowed for over 10 enemies on screen at the same time without slowdowns. And this is the kind of tech that needs to be evolved for us to get the visual feast we end up getting with these fighting games mm. uh, that come out shortly after. And the first one being X-Men Children of the Atom. Uh, so this is the mid-90s, uh, an era where a new genre of game was exploding. Beat-em-ups starting to become old news. Street Fighter Two and Mortal Kombat, they were the cool kids on the block at this point in arcades. So Capcom decides to bring the X-Men into that world they had already established with Street Fighter. X-Men Children of the Atom is released in 1994 in Japan and 95 in the US. And by that time, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo had already hit the scene. And this featured a super meter system, which once built up, allowed for a multi-hit automatic combo that would deal out big damage. You flip the crab on its back, massive damage is dealt. It's, uh, super Street Fighter 2 Turbo is that introduced the super meter. Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, yes. If I actually didn't say the super. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And also, though, that game is how they cranked up Street Fighter, these turbo games, and you can really get some fast movement going on. And I think that was the other thing that they were like basing this new game. Like, let's make everything fast. Let's make everything. Let's get these like big meters so we can like build this, have this climactic moment in the fight. This is really having major influence on the MVC series to come and fighting games in general, right? Uh, because I think I think one thing I should have said in the gush is just like just the sheer movement and like it totally opened up mobility in fighting games, the, the Marvel's Capcom series. Right. In a way that we hadn't seen M- Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter in hindsight looks so rigid and like stiff, mm-hmm. you know. No, there's something magical, especially in like the first uh, 
uh, versus games where like you can be Ryu shooting a giant fuck you Kamehameha Hadouken in midair. Yes. That like is quite intoxicating. It definitely like heightens everything uh, that you already loved about the turbo version of Street Fighter 2, which, as we talked about, was originally uh, Capcom getting ahead of like ROM hacks that were becoming popular in arcades and like. I think it was Capcom USA was like, bros, you got to just like get ahead of this and make our own version of this because we are getting our lunches eaten. People love this frantic, frenetic, high speed combat. Totally. Uh, So add that in with the super uh, with the super meter. And we've got something some special cooking here. But with Children of the Atom, they also wanted to try some other new stuff, such as characters jumping way higher in this game and uh, this allowing for aerial combos and throwing out beam attacks instead of fireballs that you could control the direction of. And really all this was this wasn't them being like, how do we like open up the fighting game to, you know, to reach new heights? No, this was them just saying, what would a superhero version of a fighting game be? Mm-hmm. And the reason why like Ryu in future Marvel's Capcom games are able is able to like jump off the screen, you know, with a single bound really came from the fact they were like, we're making putting superheroes into a fighter. They can fly. They can literally defy gravity. That's like the thing that makes them so cool. Let's definitely incorporate that. And uh, so they did. And the roster is uh, pretty slim up top. If you look at that character select screen for Children of the Atom, you kind of be surprised, especially when you think of modern fighting game character rosters. You know, even Street Fighter, which is on the slimmer side, is like way more than this this character select. You had Colossus, Cyclops, Iceman, Omega Red, Psylocke, Sentinel, Silver Samurai, Spiral, Storm, and Wolverine. As an X-Men fan, it was this is a good another roster. thing that makes it really great is the fact that it is this heightened version of the X-Men that like didn't exist except in our collective imaginations. Mm -hmm. Cause it's the voice actors from the, uh, from the cartoon, uh, optic blast, optic blast. Um, it's, uh, characters from across, uh, the, you know, the X-Men universe. Cause you got people like silver samurai who is like tied into cables lore. You got spiral from the mojo verse. You got like, uh, and on top of that, all of these characters have this like anime edge to it because there's like this, you know, it's the Japanese sprite artists making these characters. So like, uh, yeah, I mentioned uh, Psylocke sprite, who boy, and like Colossus is this like beefcake monster man. Juggernaut takes up the whole screen and Magneto, dear God. That Jim Lee Magneto, just the buffest Holocaust survivor <laughs> you ever did seen. Fucking built like a tank, this Holocaust survivor. I tell you what. So yeah, and 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 you bring up a good point, because yeah, so Juggernaut and Magneto are the are non-playable boss characters. Akuma's in the mix too. Juggernaut at the well, I'm talking about I'll get to Akuma in just a second, because there's really Akuma is probably the most important thing that happens in this game, uh, in terms of character roster bullshit. Uh, because that's really what leads to the crossover shit in the future. But but uh Juggernaut at this time in my childhood was the coolest 
dude on the planet. I was so into Juggernaut, and it was so cool to see him like taking up the screen, being that giving across that giving that feel of like no one could be Juggernaut. Like I definitely had that in my head, like kind of like Bart Simpson, like always choose rock, nothing beats that. Like in my head, I'm like, who could be Juggernaut? And of course, always he gets defeated. But in my head, he's like, he's the best. He's the most strong. He's the biggest. He's like bigger than the moon. Like what are you gonna do? Uh, uh, and, and just perfectly executed in, in uh, throughout this series. But uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Akuma. Akuma is a hidden character unlocked with a code. This actually came as a part of the deal that Marvel signed with Capcom. Capcom needed to be given the ch- uh, ability to put one of their own characters into the game. There's no lore really to this. Um, there's, in fact, Akuma was like very undeveloped at this point. I think he'd only been in one other game at this point, but I think they were like kind of his their new boy. Yeah, he was. Uh, st- it was still an Easter egg. Yeah, he was just like this rumored character that they made as a joke because fan speculation was so. In- yeah, no, uh, Super Street Fighter Two Turbo. Uh, came out in 94, X-Men Children of the Atom hit America in 95. Like, yeah, no, they absolutely, uh, Akuma was was uh, was fresh in the hearts and imaginations of players at the time. So it's a couple things, right? Like, uh, the door has been open for Capcom characters to be in a super, like a Marvel superhero game, A. B, I think when they put Akuma in and saw how easily adaptable it was to put one of their like Street Fighter characters into a uh, the this new type of fighter system, I think that was also very uh, promising for them. They're like, we could do more with this. Uh, this was not a was this a tag game? This was not a tag game, nope. right? One v one. Yeah, this was straight up one v one. By the way, we have not put tag into this franchise in the first game. Uh, and uh, we won't for a second here. Does Marvel superheroes is that a tag game? That is our next outing. Uh, nope. One v one. One v one. As I as I thought, and Marvel superheroes, they really just opened opened the the scope wider and said, "Hey, if we can have X Men characters, can we get Cap? Can we get Wolverine? Can we? Or yeah, not Wolverine. Can we get Cap? Can we get uh, uh, Hulk? Can we get Iron Man? I mean, there's some other big roster. Maximum Spider." This one's for JJ. Yeah, we've got we we have other big characters still at the time. Marvel is not Marvel. You know what I mean? No. Like these characters are beloved, but only to a a certain niche of people. Comic books are definitely looked uh, down upon a lot uh, in a lot of you know higher culture. A lot of broken monocles in front of the Marvel offices. Also, it, I really cannot stress how Shumagorath's inclusion in this game yes. did wonders for this character's visibility because. Yes. Even as a kid, even like talking to other Marvel fans, they're like, is Shuma Gorath even a guy? Where and like if we talked about him in it, our, it, by the uh, way, it's like a giant eyeball just and a ton of tentacles. That mm-hmm. is Shumagorath. If you're not aware, like if you if you're not don't have Google nearby and we're describing this like bizarre character. And morphing and being weird and crazy. Uh no fighting game character looked remotely like him before. Uh but yeah, no, he was a Major uh, kind of Cthuloid antagonist on a particularly dark Doctor Strange arc. Yeah. That we brought up in our Doctor Strange episode. But like he is not man sized in the comics. He is not like a goofy like wiggle monster. He's like supposed to be this like 
ceaseless void from the horrors of space. So I, I really believe, and I, I don't have any actual evidence of this, but I really feel like that that character was included just because the people working on the game who were making these amazing sprites, by the way, these are sprites are being established in these early games, and they end up like living up all the way through Marvel's Capcom 2. I mean, these are like, they're they're setting some major foundations here. And with, with Shuma Gorath, they're able to do some visual stuff with sprite work in a fighter that is just totally, I feel like, unseen up to this point. The way that that, that Shuma Gorath morphs and bends and blows out and just does so much crazy animation stuff is so impressive and so cool. I think they literally just chose that character to show what they were capable of. Mm. And they're capable of a lot. They also, in this game, we have Blackheart, as I mentioned, Cap, Hulk, Iron Man, Juggernaut, Magneto are here now as playable characters. You've got Psylocke, uh, Spider-Man, and Wolverine, with the unplayable bosses being Doctor Doom and Thanos. The other thing is, unplayable boss Doctor Doom. Uh, wait, is Shuma Gorath associated with Doctor Doom? It's just Doctor Strange, correct? Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, forget that part. The secret Marvel character in this, this time was a weird-ass one, Anita from the Darkstalkers series. I don't know why they chose this character. In fact, the animation, it doesn't, because she just has like a floating sword around her. She doesn't actually have a lot of animation going on with yeah. her character. Very uh, and weird she's inclusion. just, she's this little girl that uh, a character from the Darkstalkers series, which is another Capcom fighter series. I think the importance of her inclusion is just the fact that now Dark Darkstalkers is also associated mm. with this line of games, not just uh, Street Fighter, which I think was definitely, um, you know, is going to carry through uh, into the future games. Another, uh, the big mechanic in this game, they actually brought back in a certain way for Infinite, the newest uh, uh, outing for MVC, uh, is the uh, they put the Infinity Gauntlet into the game. You, you could activate a space-time reality power soul or mind stone during battle for different effects uh they were gems holden they were gems don't get that fucking movie shit mixed in with my pure comic book reality that they are not mysterious cosmic rocks they are not ancient stones they are ovoid gems you put them in a little glove and then you can kill the universe dude but come on thanos shows up in wakanda and everybody's there <laughs> and he's all scary and stuff and then he just goes "Ooh, look at my mini gems <laughs> yes ooh, ooh. you think that would have been a good way to do the movie it would have been I mean, amazing it would have been amazing if the ooh, entire <laughs> my gems on my handy hand and he pisses himself jake and he pisses it into a cup and he drinks it and everyone's just like what this is the guy honestly this is the honestly guy Okay, imagine Josh Brolin. All right, you're right. I got, Thanos I'm here just for like it. chugging piss and being like, "This was inevitable." I'm here for it. You I only guess wanted I'm here me to not drink piss because you're afraid of what the piss can do. Uh, so <laughs> the piss is salty yet sour, please, like balanced Jake. as all things should be. Please, Jake, I want to give you time and space to finish your Thanos drinking his own piss bit. So I just—I mean, are this you, is are my good? reality now. <laughs> My mind and soul are dedicated to this Thanos chase uh -oh. piss bit. Reality, Jim. It's a cool outing. Again, we no tag. Uh, uh, the the thing this series has been most known for. Weird choice for this next one. A weird choice, just because they they kind of in a way roster wise took a step back. Um, technically, this is the first game in the series. X-Men versus Street Fighter. This uh, crossed over the two franchises. Why they decided to, 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 to 
pull the scope back into just X-Men a little beyond me. Maybe they were just like, we should narrow it down to like one very specific cast of characters and another very specific cast of characters for Street Fighter. I'm not really sure the logic there. Why not put Captain America in your game if you got him? But I feel like Marvel versus Street Fighter is like, yeah, it's too loaded. And the very idea of like introducing non-fighting game characters into this game is like just a bridge too far. And, you know, they already had the sprites because that's how you get these releases once a, you know, this is just 93 X-Men, 94 Marvel, 95 X, you know, it's it's all iterative. Even Street Fighter, because at this point, uh, we have a side series for Street Fighter. We Again, we cover a lot of this stuff in like our Street Fighter series, but the Alpha series for Street Fighter. Street Fighter uh, Alpha was really cool. Flashier, more like anime-influenced. And uh, all those sprites, for the most part, were were pulled from Alpha 2. This was pre-Alpha 3, mm-hmm. however. Um, so, actually, they did premiere Cammy's Alpha look in this game, who, which would appear then in Alpha 3. She was the big, like, new one. Like, whoa, we translated Cammy, And she got a really cool updated look as well for the series. Uh, and by that, I mean, I am just mean one word, Jake, and that's ass. <laughs> All right? You do, the, you do with that word whatever you want, Jake, but I'm just throwing it onto the table for you. I mean, I've always been more of a Morrigan guy, but, huh? you know, that's because I'm a weird little freak man. There you go. You're a freak. Yeah. Wow. How did <laughs> I bring Idol into this? All right, never mind. Forget that part. We got some new X-Men in this one as well. Include, oh, your girl, Rogue, uh, is in this one. I swear to God, Gambit. she gets me antsier than a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs, sugar. Now I know what you're thinking right now. You think, the oh, these horny older men are just going to keep talking about their horniness, but we're going to get off of that for a second, all right? We're I gonna mean, not... we are, if we're talking about Rogue in the 90s. All right, please, Jake. We also get Gambit, Sabretooth, <sighs> and Apocalypse. So cool. This game also introduced into the Street Fighter lore the concept of Charlie Nash, who was in uh, Street Fighter 3, uh, being captured by M bison and experimented on leading to this like brainwashed cyborg like dark nash character um which is the version of nash that we got in street fighter 5 and onwards so they were like it's kind of interesting they're like they're making lore changes in these games well they were kind of that specific thing they were influenced by the movie Mm. that did make charlie and blanca the same characters so the idea of charlie as this cursed missing soldier friend that was experimented on they just kind of picked up that ball and ran with it. It's actually kind of fascinating. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun for like Street Fighter lore shit back at this time. I mean, even X-Men, obviously, like the protections weren't in place like they are now where they wouldn't just let you do weird story beats with these characters like they could back then, you know, but it's fun to see them just be like, yeah, whatever. Then this happened to Nash and it's crazy, right? That's nuts. Now, that's just a choice we've made. And, and uh, instead of being so protective of like the legacy of the characters, the the tag system uh, is finally here, y'all. Uh, it is established. They, they established some major mechanics with it in this first game. When one character tags out, they slowly gain a little bit of health. That's in that first one. Also, you could tag in your partner in the middle of a combo, and they would continue the combo. Uh, and the biggest one, at least when it came to wowing spectators, was the team combo, in which both characters could come out throughout a crazy, seizure-inducing, full-screen attack for massive Damage. This is also the it's first really cool. time that the uh, home ports are get a, a uh, intense kind of differentiation 
for the longest time, play the PlayStation ports were cursed. I couldn't believe the, this. I, I was like scratching loyal, my head the whole time reading about this port. The Saturn owners had something they could finally hang their hat on, and that is the Saturn used a uh, expandable RAM cartridge that you could add to the device and actually give the system enough memory to uh, keep all the sprite info for the four playable characters in a tag on a two and two tag team in memory for proper load times. Yes, the PlayStation version had to turn it into a one V one because the poor little Sony box just, you know, you and also this ran counter to a lot of, I remember like the schoolyard debate at the time, which is no, the PlayStation can do 3d and 3d is better than 2d. So the fact that it can't do this one specific 2d game means that like Capcom or Sony or someone fucked up that it's like that like the very idea that like the actual frames of animation in this beautiful game took up entire megabytes of memory was just un- we could not fathom that we just thought somebody shat the bed and not that like the physical limitations means that yes the same system that can run tomb raider can't hold a 2D game. Right. And like, it was just always a huge, huge pain point for PlayStation owners that they could not get arcade accurate versions of these games. Yeah. And apparently there was like a code that you could put in that gave you quote, pseudo tag team matches where they like cheated the tag teaming in play in the PlayStation version. Like there were load times. It was nasty. And I think you could only pick one main character in the tag player. Like it was kind of an assist thing. I don't even get it. Uh, and it's very telling where we're at in the console wars. This is 1998. From my understanding, these when these ports happened, even Sega Saturn, you say like it had one thing to hang its hat on. It it uh, was floundering so much in the U.S. that I think you had to import the oh, yeah. Japanese version Absolutely. of that Saturn game. There was no U.S. Saturn release, so even that was not great for uh, U.S. players. Those diehard Saturn kids did import it, of course, and they they, did. they held it proudly. It was all they had. <laughs> um, uh, next up, we go back to like what makes more sense uh, to me. We go full on just Marvel versus, uh, or I'm sorry, Marvel superheroes versus Street Fighter. But this game actually is a weird half step too. They're like, hey, we brought your favorite other Marvel characters outside of X Men back. But um, there's no almost all the sprites for the previous games uh, are are what we get here. We 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 don't even get like the hidden characters are are totally just palette swipes or palette swaps rather for our existing characters. So like nobody, nothing really very new here at all. It's just like hey, we took the last game, we kept the tag thing, and we widened the scope of Marvel characters a little bit more. Even even the boss Apocalypse is the same, and a precursor for Cyber Akuma, uh, which is just Akuma with cyborg parts added to his look. So it's, not again, not a different sprite. Uh, the big mechanic addition here is something that would be used moving forward, and that is an assist button that has your partner jumping in for a quick move, then hopping out if you wanted, or you could tag them in, yada, yada, yada. Then there's the exclusive joke character, and this <laughs> is actually... I didn't had no idea about this kid. Do you want to explain this, Jake? Uh, we're just talking about Norimaru. Norimaru <laughs> the, this is uh, so weird. The ugly Japanese teenage nerd 
uh, who was kind of a gag character. He has a purple school uniform. He's completely into gag character. He like accidentally hits the other player whenever he does so. He's like <laughs> he's like scared out of his mind the whole time he's on screen. It's hilarious. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. He has a large mole on his nose. He throws uh, mini dolls at his care at his uh, at his opponents as a projectile. And he was, I believe, uh, according to at least the uh, Marvel vs. Capcom fandom wiki, he was created by comedian Noritaki Kinashi, who is a very accomplished uh, Japanese uh, comedian, actor, painter, did all sorts of stuff. Uh, and he doodled the character's design on a computer at the Capcom offices, and they decided to just run with it and make him a gag character. He was taken out of all American releases because, quite frankly, I don't think people would really appreciate the highly specific jokes that they have to do with uh, being a second year high school otaku from Japan. Yeah, he's like a, a super fan before super fans were that much of a thing. He's he's like he's like always taking pictures of like the uh, opponent and stuff instead of fighting him, stuff like that in, in this way that we would get here pretty soon, you know, but like it's just not quite popping in that way. But what's most important about him is just the fact that the, this establishes, hey, we could create original characters for this franchise as well if we wanted to, and they, of course, eventually do. Uh, some people do argue that uh, Phoenix Wright's mechanics in uh, MVC3 ah. were loosely inspired by Norimaru's gameplay style. That's cool. This kind of non-fighting combat. Jake, we're almost 40 minutes into the episode, and I finally get to tell you the next game is called Marvel vs. Capcom. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a while to get there, but the other games are in the franchise. Uh, it's called Marvel vs. Capcom Clash of Superheroes, Holden. Yes, I, I apologize. As uh, Just like in your bedroom life, you always neglect the colon. So even though we call we refer to the series as Marvel vs. Capcom or, or more more so MVC if you're saying it a lot and you want need to shorten it. MVC, even though this is the first time we get to an actual titled Marvel vs. Capcom, all of these games we mentioned previously are still in that franchise for sure. I mean it's undeniable. Uh so this is first released in 1998 into arcades. And while the character select has a wider variety of fighters, the sheer roster size is nowhere near that of MVC2, which is why it's generally overlooked when it comes to going back to the old games. It pretty much kind of always starts with MVC2. That's not totally true. We've got, you know, other really cool uh, mechanics and things like that happening. They're slightly different in the older ones. For for the diehards, they're definitely not just playing MVC2 and 3, but it really is, the again, these are all like stepping stones to get to take it 
continue for a ride. Uh, we also do establish some major players in this series here. I mean, Venom, I mean, I can't imagine Marvel's Capcom without Venom, without War Machine. Hell, Mega Man, Strider. Well, War Machine was just a recolor of Iron Man because they lost the rights. I know, but he was like Iron Man, but he was cool. He was Iron Man, but he was fucking bad. I don't know how to explain it. I loved War Machine in, yeah, yeah. In, in in this series. It was just instead of goofy beams, he shot gun guns. That was the big thing. That's why everyone loved War Machine in the 90s. He was like if Iron Man was also the Punisher. I know. Exa- dude, I just come on, man. You got to warn me, dude. I just blasted a load off that. <laughs> Holden, you got to stop blasting. God, Jake, you got to give me that war up to Punisher War Machine. I mean, Punisher Iron Man. And uh, also in this one, which is interesting, as we have uh, MK1 coming right around the corner, you have a tag team, uh, MK1, the newest Mortal Kombat Mm -hmm. coming out in the year of our Lord 2023. Uh, You have a tag team to choose, but then you're also given an assist character, a pure assist character, which is something I hadn't even really heard of outside of the new Mortal Kombat game coming out. So it's interesting that they threw it into the first uh, titled Marvel's Capcom game. Uh, this would the the weird thing to me is it was randomly selected from a roster of twenty two. Yeah, it's always bizarre when you pop open MVC one for the first time in a while and it gets the assist character. You're like, oh, you're just picking for me. Uh, okay, hope that gels with my team comp. Did they? Yeah, was it like uh in tournament? Was that like just oh shit? I won the lottery for this match. I got the good assist character. Like was that a thing, or were they all kind of the same? I don't. I could not get into that, but um, I have to imagine there are some that are more desirable than others when it comes to utility. Randomly selecting them feels like the craziest move for like a ga- a game that would be in tournament tournament play. I know that the but of course, obviously, like the tournament scene wasn't exactly like the reason for the season the way that it is. now now Mm -hmm. but it is so fascinating to me that it was like that and especially for a roster of 22 that's a huge roster to randomly select it's also goddamn such a fucking insane just just an actual crazy everybody yeah like uh uh, arthur from ghouls and ghosts like uh i don't even know who the fuck this is tong poo from strider big shots like thor and cyclops and magneto uh yeah it's it's a very weird US agent fucking US agent is is part of the assist like squad I have no idea It's a wild swing but I love it because it's a wild swing and even whether it worked or not fully it's so cool that they kept making really strong choices like these in each outing until they kind of start to define and then they get too safe and the an infinite, which is kind of funny. Like they didn't take the wild swings, and it kind of it kind of let people down. I think in that sense. Um, also, uh, weirdly enough, Ryu could get Ken or Akuma's move set <laughs> depending on the costume you chose for him. Just weird little details like that. Uh, but yeah, it it, it uh it and, and one way that it is stronger than MVC two. The one thing you can point at MVC two and be like. This wasn't very good. There were endings for each character in this game. Um, and, you know, uh, more story stuff. The the sheer roster size of Marvel's Capcom 2 made it so that it was really hard for them to develop, like, story beat stuff for each character. We kind of lose that. But we gain so much more. Let's talk wait, about it. Hold on. Wait, wait. One one last thing that I thought was super fucking rad about MVC1. All right. Lay on me. The boss was Onslaught. Fucking Onslaught, who was this 
insanely edgelord character from a huge crossover right. event in the 90s. Uh, it involved uh, Magneto's brain festering and melding with uh, Professor X's brain and created this like giant fucking nightmare event. Uh, I think is Joe Madura. Uh, Mr. Mad himself did his design. He looked like this crazy anime robot fucking thing that had no right to be in the Marvel Universe. And then that led to the Marvel Heroes Reborn series, which is where we got uh, Rob Liefeld, like weird chest Captain America, among other uh, late 90s Marvel uh, mistakes and characterization. Just like, I love that this bizarre uh, like super villain is forever immortalized in video game history. Yeah, so funny. Uh, this is such a weird like. We made Magneto look more badass. <laughs> like for sure, it's very fun. Uh, all right, let's take him for a ride, Jake. Uh, here we go. Ba-na-na-na. Actually, you know what? Uh, obviously, April. Please. If you could hit the character select screen music uh, from Marvel's Capcom Two. I wanna take him for a ride. Also, April, if you could just hit it. God damn it. All right. Uh, Why would you sully? Why would you? Every time you do that, it just causes me another headache. Another person thinks they're fucking hilarious over on my Twitch stream. It's just, it is a fucking albatross. Because they are hilarious, Jake. Also, I I made sure I I didn't do that during Winnie's nap time. Apparently, I've woken up up Winnie more than once uh, during her nap time. By screaming. Screaming April Hitta whenever I've recorded from home. You deserve to be considered a bad father because you're a bad podcast host. (laughs) <laughs> by torturing me with the DK rap. If he shoots ya, it's gonna hurt. Jake, 56 playable characters, three person tag battles new to the series, and a combination of some of the strongest mechanics from all the previous games that came before it. You got assists, you've got all the, pa- the crazy supers with everybody jumping in. Marvel vs. Capcom 2 was a massive hit that lasted a decade in arcades and on home consoles. In fact, I would argue no barcade is complete without an MVC2 cabinet within it. Director Tatsuya Nakai said... Normally, the scale of a game project is gradually reduced from the initial plans, but this time, we were able to pull off way more than we expected, and the project actually ended up being bigger than we'd initially planned it to be. So there are almost no ideas that we weren't able to implement, and man, it fucking shows, bro. I mean, one of the hugest uh, things that facilitated this was the Sega Naomi arcade uh, board that they brought the game onto. This was uh, basically a souped up version of the Dreamcast hardware with extra RAM, extra memory, and a few other things that allowed for some bigger scale things. So like for the first time in the, in Capcom's history, there really wasn't like any limitations to what they could like shove into this game. I, all the sprites that they've since created, they could easily port over all the level ideas that they could have. They could do 3d elements. They could just like, it completely released the limiter and kind of the end result was this apex of what 2D fighting games could be in terms of scale. Um, the producer, Yoshihiro Sudo, uh, actually worked on the development division in Capcom's uh, HQ and worked 
hand in hand with the creators of the Dreamcast and, and Naomi hardware. So they had a completely locked down version of uh, how the hardware works. Both of the uh, head creatives worked on Power Stone, a very popular Dreamcast fighting game for uh, from Capcom. It's like there's... They got the tools they needed. They had the work already done for them in terms of just all the characters that they have like created through the uh, CPS two years. And they just, this director really just let people do some funky things with, uh, with this, with this game. Funky is so right. Uh, another really cool solution to the whole, like, Hey, we're trying not to get, uh, a bunch of games like getting timed out uh, when uh, b- because we have this mechanic where characters could go off stream and refill their health. So they included the snapback uh, maneuver or mechanic rather where you could uh, pull your uh, competitors uh, character back into the screen to uh, continue to beat the shit out of them uh, as a way to to get more like of uh, you know KOs going on. They also uh, got rid of the medium attack button and yeah. just uh, changed everything to a light hard punch, light hard kick maneuver with the two extra buttons now being used exclusively to help you tag uh, characters in and out for combined uh, combos. So that like made it way more, that made just on a baseline special moves more intuitive. Yep. And it made the tagging mechanics easier to comprehend for a new player because they really wanted this thing to be a accessible entry point. And so whether you are a hardcore FGC fighter or someone that just was like, Oh, cool. Is that a Blackheart? I love beloved character, son of Mephisto Blackheart. Can't wait to play him in a fighting game. You're still going to be making cool shit happen on screen. I completely agree. I think that was a really smart choice. Also, there's something just about simplifying the six button system down to a four button attack system. It just makes it more palatable in general. And, you know, at the end of the day, people do. You feel like such a badass having a dedicated button that just brings one of your characters in for a really quick, cool move, and it not you know, and everybody can see that and pull that off. Like you just can watch one match of MVC two and see what they're doing with the buttons, and pretty quickly be able to do some flashy shit. And that's very important, especially in fighting games. It's been a while since we mentioned this site, but uh, thanks to an interview translated by Schmupplations. Oh my god! Uh, they actually uh, demystified the reason why there are two Wolverines. On the character select screen, yeah, uh, it was uh, the fact is around this time Wolverine had a bone claws. I don't know how much I have to explain to <laughs> our fellow elder millennial nerd audience, but for a chunk of time, Magneto ripped all the adamantium off of Wolverine, and he had bone claws, which I always thought was weird because that just really reduces his ability to do anything. Yeah. They even did it in the movie. Remember that Wolverine movie where we went to Japan? Fucking sucked. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the team wanted to do the Bone Claw version of Wolverine, but from a directive from Marvel, they said that uh, actually they're bringing back Metal Claw Wolverine, so they had to uh, include both versions. And the sprites are not that different. Like, Bone Claw Wolverine just has slightly longer claws and he's browner. Regular Wolverine just looks like his normal sprite from Children of the Atom. Um, uh, they, they're, and regular Metal Wolverine has like a couple more moves than uh, Bone Claw Wolverine, who can also do kind of a shadow step mm. thing. That's his one. It's just a very weird thing if you've ever been confused at that board, being like Wolverine or 
Wolverine. I don't get this. What is happening? Another weird thing they did was the three original characters they included in this game. You already mentioned Ruby Hart, the pirate lady. You also have Sun Sun, the uh, monkey girl, and the weirdest being, of course, Amingo, the sombrero-wearing cactus thing. Uh, so Ruby Hart was really well, just... Sun Sun's a, a, like a very, very forgotten Capcom game but from their earliest still, arcade. It is a female version of that character. It's still like an adaptation and it wasn't a fighting game not even remote so it was still kind of in a way an original i guess it was like kind of half and half it was like original just in the sense that they like regendered the character and kind of gave it a total gave the character a totally new updated look Amingo though uh was developed because they didn't have a zany non-human <laughs> wild looking character to play with on the capcom side kind of like we have with uh shumagorath or whatever right yeah and Ruby Hart was really supposed to be like the Ryu of this game. Uh, they wanted a leading lady, like badass character that could kind of like, you know, f- be that for the MVC series. Did they accomplish that? I don't. I wouldn't say they necessarily did. In fact, I always assumed I never saw her as a main character like I see Ryu. I also um, ne- just assumed she came from somewhere else. She just seems like she came from a different, like Darkstalkers or something. Yeah, she she reeks of like dark stalker forgotten character or like a guilty gear character or just something in theory. She's like her pirate team awakens the ancient weapon abyss that like uh, is the main villain of the final game. Like she's part of the plot, but it's very uh, America and Japan did not go crazy for uh, Ruby heart. Uh, Around this time, though, it is the we're officially in the 2000s and um, it's it's, you know, the fighting game community is taking to the Internet. It's on forums. It's on, you know, you can watch it uh, streaming via real player. You can do a lot of interesting things. And it's uh, I think that's part. It's one of the earliest games that I remember seeing like glimmers of the FGC community in full display. Uh, If. Uh, April, I sent the clip to Holden, but if you can get uh, Yipes, famous FGC commentator, uh, with one of his classic rants, uh, Marvel Baby. <laughs> Brandon versus Potter, first to ten. Marvel, <laughs> <laughs> He's so Pringles, Holden. He's so Pringles. <laughs> I love Yipes. He's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> you got the mango setting off. He's mango colored. He looks like he's wearing New York Knicks colors. Oh, scoop! Scoops! Scoops! Like, if you had love no clue, so you'd see this clip and you'd be like, oh, Fighting games are doing some interesting things. This is an actual like culture. This is an actual community. When I the one time I did an X level tournament uh, at uh, uh, in Brooklyn, Yipes was there. Oh, did he make fun of your outfit and uh, call you a Pringles looking Hagen Dazs mofo? No, but I did love. Uh, he was walking by uh, this guy, and he, this guy had beaten uh, Idom, who's like incredible, who almost won Capcom Cup with in Street Fighter Five last year. He he, this guy beat Idom in one round. He was like, I finally got you around, yes, dude. He was so psyched to the Yipes, just like now you got to run the set, now you got to run the set, dude. Doesn't matter, bro. And then I done fucking <laughs> murdered him, dude. And it was awesome. Because it's true. It doesn't matter, dude. You can win rounds all day. You got to win the set. All right. Um, 
uh, I also wanted to mention, you know, before we we go on splooging about that inflatable clown background, you should know that at first, folks did not love it, you know, because it looks insane, mm-hmm. which it does. Uh, and uh, but it's also because, and I never noticed this, and I do think this is such a smart move with everything going on on the screen. Because their backgrounds were so crazy, the backgrounds are rendered in 3D, but the sprites are rendered in 2D. And this was so that the sprites would pop better and you could better see what was happening on the screen, even with these really busy backgrounds. But it does throw people off a little bit. It's a little odd to see that contrast. You know, it's like almost a little jarring. It's like weird to the mind, I think. And it took some getting used to. But I do think it's very, very smart that they did that. There was also just I th- you know, we were well into 3D's dominance. Like the fact that this game was 2D based did, uh, you know, it, it was just the, it was just the the prevailing wisdom at the time right. that like 2D old, 2D bad, and the dominant uh, fighting games of this era were stuff more like Tekken and Virtua Fighter, and uh, I don't know uh, what's what's the Namco one with the swords. Oh God! Uh, Are you talking about Soul, Soul Calibur? Soul Calibur. Jesus oh, Christ! Okay. My mind is it wasn't dead you or th- alive. Threw me for a loop too. I was like with the swords, but yeah, there are a lot of swords in that game. I guess dead or alive with the yabos. You oh, know, they, right. the people wanted something a little flashier. Volleyball beach party. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that was them being like, here's some 3D for <laughs> your pleasure. Uh, now let's talk about the music. Nakai had this to say, the theme of this project, and I feel like this they just pulled this off it so well. The theme for the project was, I want to do something new. Also extended to the music, and we even included sung vocals. I told the sound team I wanted an overall cool sound, and more or less, uh, uh, and more or less left it to them. And I think the tunes they came up with are quite hip. A lot of people have said that more traditional game-like music would have been better, but I think reactions like those prove that we made the right call. And I so agree. There was just having the vocals in there was such a special new thing around that time in games that made it be like, oh, we're moving into the future. I mean, yeah, no, it's definitely, you know, you're getting like jazz guitar, piano, like little saxophone riffs. It definitely stood out at the time where at this era still, it was a lot of like, like anime kind of music. Yeah. Um, But again, it was off kilter. That wasn't quite what people wanted. Uh, a lot of the soundtrack was actually uh, composed from um, uh, sound libraries. There was very few original recordings made for this uh, made for this game in a way that was actually like kind of impressive. Uh, but it just made a lot a lot of people uh, very divided. Yeah. I'm gonna say just not quite. You know, it wasn't cool. It wasn't cool. Right. Uh, I, I kind of felt that even myself when I first was getting into it. But now I think it's such a special, lovely element mm-hmm. to it. That, Take it for a rat. Like, I can't. That character's like screen just pops so well. And oh, yeah. the music really makes that happen. And I think it's just very cool. And then once you started watching Cowboy Bebop on Adult Swim, you were like in it. Yeah. You were just like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Give me more jazz. Yeah. Give me that tank. So, uh. Moving back over to the FGC, there are tournaments centered around fighting games popping up around the country, and namely there's this one called Battle by the Bay. It is in Sunnyvale, California, and this started in around 1996 with Street Fighter games 
But in 2000, at the Battle by the Bay 4, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 was introduced into the lineup, the first non-Street Fighter game to get in. In 2002, this competition was renamed to Evolution, also known as Evo, and MVC2 was in the lineup at that competition from 2002 to 2010. During that time, uh, Duck Vander, uh, who won the first time the game was ever introduced, had some victories, along with newcomer Yipes. Uh, but it was Justin Wong that took home six Evo titles and made Grand Finals eight times to overall during the run of MVC2. This is when actual FGC shit is getting real, where, where we are really starting to like respect the the esport of of fighting games on a higher higher level than ever before uh, because usually I feel like before I remember that blockbuster kind of co-run video game tournament like there were video game tournaments but they always feel like a felt like a sales gimmick yeah. or like a, just kind of a, a little one-off promo thing and this was like no, no no every year we're coming to this one destination the best of the best and are like duking it out to see who is the greatest Marvel's Capcom who is the greatest Street Fighter 3 uh, player you know of, of that there is Street Fighter 2 all that um and that is uh, uh, where we're going to leave Marvel's Capcom for now in the FGC. Uh, we got to get back into it after we talk about the next entry in the series. Do you have anything before we move off of Marvel's Capcom 2? Uh, no, I think we got to we got to keep uh, trucking. Um, you know, it's uh, <laughs> whoopsie doodle. Uh, Capcom loses the license for pretty much a decade. And uh, in the meantime... Uh, there's this little game for the Nintendo Wii <laughs> that uh, makes some waves and kind of revitalizes uh, our collective love for the versus fighting format, as well as uh, just Capcom's own ability to like kind of see how they can produce this sort of thing in the 3D era. And that is Tatsunoko versus Capcom Ultimate All-Stars. Uh, it was developed by a team called Ating. Um, previously known for shoot 'em ups more than anything else, uh, made by former staff from Compile, another arcade cabinet uh, creator. But uh, it was Tatsunoko versus Capcom and uh, their director uh, Hidetoshi is Ishizawa that like brought back the tag team format, brought back these uh, very very weird assortments of characters, including Frank West from Dead Rising, Beautiful Joe, uh, Mega Man Volnut, fucking Volnut from the uh, Mega Man Legends franchise, as well as a bunch of crazy characters from anime and, um, ta- uh, what, do, what do you call it? Live action stuff, uh, Kashurn, um, one of the guys from uh, Battle of the, you know, so- Gacha Man, or no, two from Gacha Man, a.k.a. Uh, what do they call it in America? It was called something dumb in America. Whatever. A lot of characters that uh, were not as popular in America, but they had fully 3D characters. They maintained this uh, crazy hyper fighting, and it kind of retaught Capcom what they could do with the format in the modern age. Yeah, they they did such a good job with this game, and I think that's why like this episode isn't just called uh, Marvel's Capcom 2, right? Mm-hmm. Which it, it really, by all means, would have been without... Uh, MVC3, but MVC3 was such a spectacular 
new entry in the series, especially Ultimate Marvel's Capcom 3, which is uh, coming right on its heels with like the expanded roster and everything. The philosophy was to maximize gameplay depth, but minimize complexity. In other words, they wanted to do the thing every fighting game strives to do. Bring in new players while also making something great for those existing ones. And striking that balance can be very, very difficult. They did go back to the six-button layout, uh, added those mediums back into the game. And the most notable change is with the game's look that you already mentioned. Producer Ryota uh, Nitsuma said, the art design is heavily influenced by comic books themselves. We tried to make the comic book art come alive in the game. Yeah, the, yeah. so you mentioned that, that they rendered it in 3D, so they switched it from the previous game. Now you have 3D models on a 2D plane, uh, which is, the, again, it's, I think that's a really smart way to make, again, the actual characters you're playing and the stuff they're doing pop and be more well-defined if you're going to have complex backgrounds. The, the game did not change a ton from the previous one in terms of combat at its basic level. But with the three button system, and the uh, also they had tagging air combos now, uh, and then there, of course there was the X factor system, uh, in which you know at different points the character would have to stop and either eat a bug or jump out of a plane, <laughs> or uh, wait, I'm sorry, and Joe Rogan was there for some reason. No, no you're talking about the fear factor system. Oh my bad, my bad. The X factor system, I believe, is when uh, Simon Cowell judges your singing ability. <laughs> That's and body what it was. Shape. Yeah, you have to perform your talents and you get chosen for Simon Cowell. Uh, uh, but no, no, uh, you've also had, uh, you know, that the X factor would, would team up, uh, it would, uh, buff your team up for a certain amount of time. It was just kind of a way to like pop, like a kind of go turbo mode. Almost. You also had fun and swings. The, uh, the, 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 the balance of the X factor is the more characters you had with more life, the less the bonus from the X factor was. Yes. So also, if you had to like wonder if you save it for a desperation move or, if you know that it'll like help your combo lengthen to another like eight hits, like do you pop it now? So that was just like one of the mechanics and really fun swings with the Phoenix character that some pro players would wield really effectively. It was kind of like an all or nothing type deal that if you had full meter saved up and Phoenix died, she would rise up as like dark Phoenix and be like super overpowered. And, and uh, you could try to like have a quick comeback happen. That was really cool. So they just put in a lot of different swings to make competitive play a lot more interesting. I think they, definitely had competitive uh you know fgc stuff more in mind in this one in a way that probably wasn't going on a lot in previous titles for a lot of fighting games uh also a big improvement over the last game was the attention to story endings written for every character more of a story to the game as a whole this is actually thanks to comics writer frank thierry who was brought in to do all of this thierry had written for both dc and marvel before this and was given access by marvel to the full library, which is why we get cameos from folks like Fantastic Four, Ghost Rider, who ends up in the DLC, uh, stuff like that. But they, he was able to like use a ton of other characters in that story stuff, which was a lot of fun uh, in the campaign stages and arcade mode. And they had planned to initially put out a bunch of DLC for this game, but this was all affected by the 2011 Tohoku earthquake and tsunami, along with staff health issues, things like that. So instead, what they eventually end up doing is releasing a full-on separate entry into the series. If you're going gonna get this game definitely get this version ultimate marvel vs capcom 3 which would include all the dlc characters along with a bunch of balance changes and additional content uh and this game 
super thrives at Evo because it still is. Just look up tournament play. It is so fun to watch this game. It's also like a little mind-bending. Like, it's kind of hard to tell what's going on on the screen at a lot of times. <laughs> but once you lock in, I mean, you had... And you have all these mainstays that if you watch FGC stuff, you know, you've know you heard these names before. Filipino champ, Chris mm-hmm. G, and of course, Justin Wong, all taking home gold from this time. This game lasts, by the way, from 2011 to 2017 at the big event. It was a huge deal. It still is a huge deal. And we'll get get to why at the very end of this episode. But uh, anything else to say about uh, MVC3 before we go, uh, we, we get to the dark era of this tale? I mean, it was a great kind of return to form, uh, you know, in the in the 10 years since uh, MVC2, so many characters had come to prominence. This was one of the first times you got to see Deadpool be his own like meta human self. I mean, I remember gasping in reverent awe when he attacked uh, your opponent with his own super meter as a weapon. Um, Rocket Raccoon is in this game with a weird British accent, which we've talked about. Modok is in this game, uh, you know, along with returning characters like Sentinel and uh, Shumagorath. Uh, She-Hulk is in this game. Like, it is super fun. Taskmaster fucking Super Scroll, like... As a comic book fan, it was very, very exciting to see who made it into this game. And uh, even as a dumb nerd uh, who played a lot of Dead Rising and Phoenix Wright, having Frank West, Hagar, uh, you know, so many characters, the weird uh, horny version of Jill from the later Resident Evil games with like the cat suit is in this thing. It was like a very wonderful who's who of the just uh, collective nerd imagination at the time. Yeah, for sure. Really cool still. It it really holds up. I I think both of them do. And that's what's so special about this series is a lot of times fighting games don't hold up very well. Like it's hard to go back when you have the newest outing, you know, and there's only, it takes really special ones like Mortal Kombat 10, I think is in that category just for how special that game was that like, that might be still better to go back to almost than, than the current game 11. Um, you know, uh, this is definitely one of those for sure. Street Fighter three, third strike, but just to have two in a row be such banger killer mm-hmm. entries really cemented this as like a franchise that people just absolutely love and respect. Unfortunately, um, it, it, all good things must come to an end, at least hopefully only temporarily, though it's not looking great. Uh, so during the time of Marvel's Capcom 3's run, Disney, who had bought Marvel by this point, let the contract between Marvel and Capcom lapse at the end of 2013. For the next few years, Capcom distances itself from the franchise, and Disney opted to go with in-house producers for their games and all their content, essentially. They, they don't want to freelance, they don't, or they don't want to outsource. They even delisted MVC 2 and 3 from Xbox Live Arcade and PlayStation Network in 2013. Fans are still trying to get these things reinstated. They had that Origins release back mm-hmm. in... Uh, I think they pulled that too. That? I think they pulled that one as well. Jesus. Yeah, because uh, that was for the original one. Then in 2016, Disney gave up on the whole in-house thing and uh, opened the doors back up and moved over to a licensing only model. Wow, they weren't able to just pull a, a incredible fighter out of their ass. Like, oh, is that, maybe it's like really challenging to make a good fighting game. Well, no, what they did was they ate their fucking buttholes out trying to compete with Skylanders with that Disney Infinity thing. Remember that shit? Man, I just love that pornography you just described. Uh, I remember when that the Disney, entire Disney staff eats whole buttholes out, uh, <laughs> dropped on Pornhub. It was incredible. Uh, <laughs> uh 
later that god i'm so glad we should do an episode on the peripheral uh toy the oh the, the toys to life genre thing that came and went so quickly speaking of like massive failures like we're about to talk about um so later that year marvel's capcom infinite is officially announced the director chosen was Norio Hirose, who had worked on early titles for the franchise, including X-Men vs. Street Fighter, Marvel Super Heroes vs. Street Fighter, and the first MVC game. And this probably at least partially explains why they went with the gameplay changes that had some, some people scratching their heads. The biggest change felt like a step back to people, and that is going back to a 2v2 tag style, as opposed to three uh, choosing three characters to play. Uh, a more interesting change using the old games, though, for inspiration, I, I briefly mentioned this early in the episode they put the infinity stones this time jake mm-hmm. stones mm-hmm. back into the game this was of course obviously you know avengers it, uh, infinity war all that shit was going on i believe around this time so it was kind of a no-brainer to do that and it was cool it's cool you pick your stone it does different things it's this added you know kind of grab bag mechanic that, that can be a lot of fun the space gem would physically limit uh-huh. the amount of the stage that your opponent could operate. With. Yeah, something like, I feel. Like, to, I feel like there was one that was better than all of them. At least, maybe it's just in my opinion. Like, I think the time one like slowed people down or something like that. Or uh, uh, either way, though, um, uh, it was that that not bad. That and honestly, the basic mechanics not terrible. Even though it was limited to two v two, like the combos were fun to pull off. Like the game was fun to play, in my opinion. But there was also the look of the game, which seemed to be a Marvel mandate. They wanted to move away from that like comic anime sprite type of look, that fun kind of more comic booky animation they, they were swinging with before and more towards uh, what was described as a quote cinematic approach. Mm-hmm. Well, how would you describe the look of this game, Jay? Uh, well, Iron Man in this game looks pretty much identical in terms of his color scheme, in terms of just like how the light hits the helmet. Uh, as the movie version of Iron Man, Uh, but none of the characters had the rights to the likenesses of the actors, so they were just kind of these generic beef blobs of these characters. Um, And the, I know in still frames, a lot of people were just kind of disappointed at how little, like, kind of creative perspective there was in these designs, you know, In the original, or at least in three, you had characters like uh, Amaterasu and they everything was Spencer, Dante, and they were all kind of heavily shaded and kind of like, you know, crazy looking. And in this one, just the lighting was flatter. The colors were kind of just more basic. And um, a lot of people were really focusing on the fact that they added this highly, actually, I enjoyed as a non-player just watching the cutscenes, because it was this Gonzo multiverse series where uh, Sigma from the Mega Man X series and Ultron combined into this like super robot asshole character. And uh, all these characters were like running around their various multiverses trying to solve the problem. Uh-huh. But these, these models were not built for like emoting really. So a lot of still frames going around the internet of just like a confused looking Chun-Li. Yeah. And people weird. being like, this thing's ugly. Just the faces did not look good. It was just had this kind of not great look to it. And story-wise, it was a lot of fun, uh, what you're describing, but I think it's just because lovers of the series had just gotten such a good story outing 
building with the MVC3 stuff, and it really paled in comparison. Um, another thing that we were just lauding, they got rid of, again, in this trying to go more cinematic, uh, trying to cash in on the MCU. Can we just say that? Mm-hmm. Cinematic means trying to cash in on the MCU. And that was uh, returning or going to like a we- kind of a very like Boro Snorro traditional score as opposed mm-hmm. to anything jazzy or rock and roll or electronic music based that really made that, again, made the whole franchise pop. It was like they kind of just doled all the edges down and and made this thing that just sort of felt bland as hell to a lot of people. And that's not what you want to do for new players. People who just love mechanics could sink their teeth into that, but it wasn't enough. There was also the issue where uh, at this point in IP history, Disney owned the rights to yes. specific Marvel heroes, but they did not have the movie rights to any of the X-Men universe. So all of the X-Men characters were completely replaced. Wolverine wasn't in it at first. Like there was genuinely just massive gaps in the roster for, especially if you know, you're know you part of the FGC, you want these characters that you've put so many uh, hours into mastering back in the game and they just weren't there. Um, one producer, uh, I believe it was Peter Rose's, yeah. Uh, famous Peter Combo Fiend Roses, yeah. Uh, tried to pitch it as a positive. He said, um, uh, the X-Men was uh, one we had to get in there. A lot of fans wanted to see uh, them, and we wanted to bring them back. And uh, we talked to Marvel for our future roadmap of what's going to be happening. Um, you know, but like, uh, yes, you know, Marvel, Captain Marvel may seem like a strange pick, but she's fantastic. She fits the gameplay. She fits the story. Uh, they're going to be really pushing her character all the way up to the movie. So we're taking everything into account and just they could not uh, just admit like we're not allowed to feature characters that would be uh, perceived as plugging other companies movies. I believe he also had the quote. No one remembers the X-Men or some version yeah, of that, which is was... hilarious because Logan comes out that year. Like clearly people still care about the X-Men. Uh, also, he he other has other quotes just being like, people don't love Magneto. They love the mechanics that Magneto mm-hmm. had. And we're still having characters with that stuff. And he kind of said the thing. Yes, the mechanics are all there to a certain degree outside of the 3v3 thing. But it isn't that people love they have characters they hang their hat on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, even, I even was listening to Triple KO is a great podcast with Maximilian Dude, Mac McMuscles and Justin Wong. And they were talking about their favorite characters in fighting games. And for Justin, one of his big ones or his number one was Storm. Storm from MVC3, Speak of the Devil, an X-Men character. And it was not just because like the mechanics were cool and awesome. It was definitely not just that. By far not just that. He always loved Storm. When he was a little kid watching that animated show, getting into the comics before he even started getting serious about fighting games, Storm was his favorite character. And then to see her get that really good treatment in in MVC three, and um, she's also in is she she's in a, is she in MVC two? But either way, like drew him to the character so much like it's not just about the mechanics it'll never just be about the mechanics you have to have everything going on and unfortunately for them uh another game did have everything going on that infinite did not and that is dragon ball fighters which drops right around the same time has the 3v3 tag battle is that anime style to a t just everything people wanted in this 
MVC game happened in Dragon Ball Fighters from Arxis and just totally blew uh, Infinite out of the water in terms of a player base. Infinite also had a insanely tiny budget for the scale and legacy of what they were trying to revitalize. They had such few assets, tons of outsourcing was necessary in order to get everything playable and in on time. They really, like, I think, I forget the quote, but it was like, the budget for Marvel vs. Capcom 3 Ultimate, which was just a rebalance and some DLC when all is said and done, was higher than their completely building from scratch Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. Like, they really got the short end of the stick. If you really want a full blow-by-blow of what went wrong, I highly mm. recommend the Matt McMuscles YouTube video, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, What Happened? From his What Happened series, it really just yeah, it is a great series covering all the all the <laughs> failures of the games we wanted to love, and uh, yeah, he's he's awesome. They did one really cool thing in the FGC before the game completely died, uh, but partially this had to do with the death of the game in the in, uh, in the FGC, and to a certain degree, they put on an event called the Battle for the Stones after the game's release, and the competition incorporated a very interesting gimmick a player could actually win like real infinity stones and they would give them the edge in like the next tournament. Right. So, uh, the space stone could swap their position in the bracket with someone else, which is huge. The soul stone could erase a single match loss in a three out of five set. Wow. The time stone could negate. And and obviously you can only use these once the time stone could negate the opponent's use of their, their stone for a match. So let's say someone wanted to use the soul stone. You could use the time stone and undo that. Uh, the Power Stone gave the player the ability to get first hit in a match, which is ridiculous. Woo! The Mind Stone allowed the player to choose their opponent's fighters <laughs> that's and nuts. Infinity Stone before a match. That's That seems completely unfair. The Reality Stone allowed a player to change their opponent's control scheme that's before a match. They could change three buttons. They could change three buttons on their pad to a different setup. Um Though this was a really interesting gimmick, it kind of de- And of course, the boner stone allowed oh, you to right. just unplug their hitbox and you just like mashed your hands into their face. It don't get me started on the eat their own buttholes out <laughs> stone. I mean, it was just, what, what are we doing here? Weirdly enough, that just means they can't drink any water during the match. <laughs> so, so this was an interesting gimmick, but... It also kind of delegitimized the whole competition, yeah. Because they threw this in, it, it kind of made it like just not, just just not a real tournament at the end of the day, not a true one. And oddly enough, they pitted. I, I don't even, I don't even believe this. this is what I read, and I can't believe this is true. But it seemed like they put on this event at the same time as the Street Fighter Five Capcom Cup Finals, so they competed against their own game. Uh-huh. Uh, so after all this, the final nail in the coffin, and I remember when this happened because everybody was kind of blown away. This like made the news for like video game sites and stuff. Infinite was not included in Evo 2018's official lineup. The year before, it hadn't come out in time, mm-hmm. but they didn't include it. This was the absolute nail, final nail in the coffin. The player base online dwindled rapidly, and the DLC offerings for the game came too little too late. So the whole thing just died within a matter of months. It was kind of impressive, and it really reminded me the PR was also terrible around this game outside of the uh combo fiend uh gaff like they just it really was reminiscent of the xbox one rollout uh, they just miscommunicated communicate stuff d- made the players feel um 
like they didn't respect them. You know, it was a lot of that kind of stuff. It was like, you'll buy the shit. You're, you know, it's Marvel bullshit, right? You love Marvel bullshit. And I was kind of the beginning of people getting a little cynical about the overabundance of superhero and Marvel stuff in popular culture. So it just well, was. Don't worry. Just a few years later, the Square Enix Avengers game would come out. And <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. God, no. But Jake, I will say. There is some light at the end of the tunnel here happening this week at the time of this recording, so you can go back and watch it if you weren't aware of this. In 2023, Evo announced their lineup of games, all of which are the most current releases from all the big dog publishers in the FGC, with one exception, Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3. That's right. Starting this year, they will be doing an official throwback tournament for every Evo moving forward, and where they take a classic beloved game and do a full-on tournament for one final throwdown. And the uh, entrance for this game set a new registration record for competitors at Evo 2023 for Ultimate Marvel's Capcom 3. Wow. To say this tournament will be hype as fuck is the biggest understatement of my entire podcasting career. You need to go check this out. All the major players are coming back. Uh, uh, I, I believe... Uh, I know Justin Wong's going to be there. I'm guessing the names I've mentioned previously are all going to show up for this thing. It's going to be so hype. I'm very excited various people you never quite heard of but you've seen references uh, to them in dive kick a hundred percent definitely check it out and support evo and get into the fgc check out my dojo on discord uh, the holdenators ho dojo if you want to like a good place where beginners and uh you know the more advanced alike can all get together and, and share an enthusiasm for these fighters and and get matches going together and learn from each other all that good stuff um and get hype about evo i'm sure we're going to be in there chatting about that uh check that out um but yeah, that's where we're at. I, I really hope I, I, I the, my my secret hope is that this tournament is such a huge deal that it reminds Marvel and uh, you know more importantly Marvel than Capcom, but really reminds them how important this franchise is and really try to do it right this time and bring it back one more time at least, um, hopefully or Arxis maybe you guys could make it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Go but, nuts. But either way, that is our episode of Marvel's Capcom. We hope we did it justice. We hope you liked it. Uh, I feel really passionate about it. Uh, I hope that shined through. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to support us further, patreon.com. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Every week we do bonus content for just $5 a month. And that also just really goes to help support this show and keep the show going. Uh, you can also get ad-free episodes in the main feed, uh, pre-sale codes for, for uh, tickets. I already mentioned the Sunday study session. I'll also mention... Tickets. We're going back on tour in September. Lastpodcastnetwork.com. Check out all of our upcoming shows on there. Um, and check me out on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. That's twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. I stream Monday through Friday. It's always a blast. Come by and say hello. Jake. Really got to reiterate that Patreon is what keeps the lights on here over at uh, Whizbrew HQ. And uh, yeah, those uh, live shows are always a blast. I feel like you are definitely going to enjoy it if you come on over and say hi. Uh, and uh, follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Puppet Jared. That's my little VTuber avatar. Uh, the flagship stream is the Cartoon Dumpster. Every Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern, we watch weird, old, bad cartoons from the uh, 1990s, 2000s. It's a crazy. Uh, we just, last night, as of recording, we watched an episode of an obscure Canadian cartoon in which uh, a bat ate 56 other bats. And that was nuts. The physics involved. How does he eat that many bats? I don't know. How does he eat that many bats, Jake? It's, it's and then he flies away. Just the, 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 the aerodynamics alone. 
Makes no sense. <laughs> and hey, always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.